Hello, and welcome to another installment of Conversations with the Washington Library, a podcast about early American history and the people who teach it. I'm your host for today's episode, Anthony King, and in this episode, I'm going to be sitting down with Dr. Joe Stoltz, co-director of the George Washington Leadership Institute, and we're going to be talking extensively about the leadership programs here at Mount Vernon. If you are interested in hosting a program on site, there will be a link to the, to the Leadership Institute webpage on our podcast site at www.mountvernon.org slash podcast. And without further ado, I'm going to introduce Dr. Joe Stoltz. Welcome, for, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Anthony, for having me on this side of the microphone. It is. Uh, how does it feel being over there? You are like literally it. on the other side of the studio looking at our green screen. I, I don't like it. It's a little different, right? I asked the questions. No, we're fine. No, it's great. <laughs> Not today, at least. Not today. Not nope. today. Um, so with that, it's, uh, you usually start by asking a person about their background. So <laughs> let's, let's decide how you got to this point here. How, do you, how, how did you end up in this chair across from me? How did I become me? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I uh, uh, did my ma- from New Orleans originally and did my bachelor's and master's at University of New Orleans. Uh, in my master's, I had a concentration in public history. And the whole time I had, and this will all make sense in a moment, the whole time I was, it was uh, in undergrad and in grad school, uh, was working in various museum functions. Uh, my first job was uh, an overnight tour guide on a World War II destroyer called the USS Kid. Uh, overnight, too. A lot of weird stories, uh, which we can't get into on this ep- episode. Should have included them in the Halloween episode. Mm, we could have a few, yeah. <laughs> um but so did that for uh, my bachelor's and master's. So had had museum experience at the same time I was doing sort of the traditional academic history track. Uh, and then went to grad school at TCU, go Frogs, uh, and was there for four years uh, before I was lucky enough to get selected for a position at the United States Military Academy uh, at West Point, um, where I was helping them do a iPad-based uh, textbook for their two-semester, what mm. they call History of the Military Art course. Uh, they Every cadet is required to take uh, some pretty intensive military history courses, as would kind of make sense. sense at West Point. Yeah. Uh, and the donor that was funding that the, the, the latest revision of the text for that course uh, wanted some sort of technical component, something mm. innovative and technology-driven. That was one of the mandates he gave for the, the donation. And so because I was a classically trained historian but also had a bunch of museum experience, uh, they brought me on at West Point as an assistant editor for this project because that would help uh, do a bunch of the, the, the additional materials, a lot of the interactive media. Uh, essentially, you know, if you think about it in the museum terms, the label writing. Um, yeah. You know, they could get the best in the, you know, the top-notch uh, award-winning academic historians to ma- write the main chapter text. Uh, but they needed somebody to write all the ancillary material, uh, and mm-hmm. that's where somebody with some museum background of how to choose the right 50 words to write a mini-biography of Napoleon Bonaparte, right? Which 50 words do you pick? It's pivotal. Um, so that's how I've been doing that, and I got to teach up at West Point for a bit. Uh, and and then being from New Orleans, the, the, the cold, icy cold tundras of uh, the Hudson Highlands of New York were a bit much for me. And so when I found out there was a job here at Mount Vernon, uh, I moved down here to take the job of digital historian. And then while doing that job as a classically trained military historian, in addition to doing some of the digital components like the podcast, right. 
um, I was working with our leadership institute uh, here at Mount Vernon a lot because of my time teaching leadership and studying mm-hmm. Washington's leadership when I was at West Point. And then a position to open up in the Leadership Institute, uh, and I decided to to make the move. So it's a very roundabout arc, but it all kind of makes sense after a fashion. It's a little convoluted. I think, I think so. Yeah, it makes it makes sense for sure. Yeah. Um, but now I'm in this side of the chair. So. And and exactly right. So now that we've mm-hmm. divulged your background, mm-hmm. let's get into the Leadership Institute. Mm-hmm. Exactly for our listeners who probably don't know too much about it. I mean, unless you've been on a program before. What is the George Washington Leadership Institute? Yeah, so the the Leadership Institute uh, does leadership and management programs uh, for anybody that wants to sign up for it. Uh, you know, our, our our traditional big three pillars are because um, we're here outside of D.C. Uh, a lot of U.S. government agencies uh, or or just folks working with various portions of the government, whether they're agencies, congressional staffs, whatever. Um, a lot of military groups come in. There's, there's a lot of troops stationed in the D.C. area, and we have great relationships with uh, the uh, National War College, uh, Marine Corps University, uh, National Defense University, all those mm-hmm. great folks. Uh, and then a lot of corporate groups and, and trade associations. D.C. has a lot of trade associations. Uh, a lot of you know big companies have corporate headquarters, but we don't just do big companies. We, we do everything. And so what we're tasked with doing by the Mount Vernon Ladies Association is – Looking at George Washington's leadership and his leadership style, mm-hmm. uh, and and presenting that to modern day leaders, uh, we think here at Mount Vernon that Washington's leadership style and some particular aspects of it are particularly poignant and relevant uh, at all times. Uh, some of them maybe more so today than ever, uh, and so that's sort of our way of making Washington relevant to. A lot of these folks that maybe just think about him as, oh, he was the first president and, oh, he commanded the Continental Army, right? But those are huge leadership roles. And right. so what can we understand about making ourselves better leaders and better management practices by looking at Washington as a case study? Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know it gets to the point here where within each program that you run here, mm-hmm. everything is specifically coordinated for the group that's coming in. So every, you know, every day of programming is different for every group. So everything is so customizable. Can you explain that process on how that first off comes together? Mm-hmm. And maybe can you share some of the possible topics that people will discuss? Yeah. So so some of the things, so I'll, I'll uh, start with the programmatic portion. So mm-hmm. some of our greatest hits, uh, if you will, are things like uh, Washington's uh, I don't want to say unique or singular, but a particularly strong ability uh, to integrate strategy, leadership, and management, right? Uh, and what we mean by that, it, to, to sort of step back from sort of some jargony, uh, maybe buzzwords, is that um, you can be a great leader. You can be very motivational, but have people charging up the wrong hill, right? Your strategy might be flawed. <laughs> um, you can be a great manager, uh, in the sense of you can be figuring out, uh, you know, the best possible schedules or the most elegant solutions to problems, um, but if you if you're not really nailing down and identifying what your goals are for your organization, um, that that's a problem, mm-hmm. right? You don't have a very clear um, strategy, and at the same time, you can have the best plan in the world, but if if you're just 
kind of a jerk. You're not, you're not going to get people to follow you. Right. And so Washington, I think, was particularly good at um, having really big picture ideals, right? You know, we, th- we think of among, among the, the, the founders during the revolution, um, you know, guys like uh, John Hancock and guys like uh, Samuel Adams. They're great at those bumper sticker slogans of freedom, independence. Those things all sound good, right? But Washington is tasked with how do I take those bumper sticker slogans and convert them into discrete, actionable policy objectives? And then how do I craft strategies to achieve those objectives? Mm -hmm. And how do I build a team to go achieve those things? Uh, and that's something we see time and again. Maybe we have a little time a little later to, to dig into that a little bit more. Um, so that's that's one of our sort of greatest hits is really sort of unpacking that aspect. Uh, another one we do is Washington, and uh, and this actually came out of some requests we had from different corporate groups. Um, everyone's a lot a lot of folks are really uh, concerned with change, right? We live in a rapidly changing world. Well, we do. But that's that's it's rapid compared to what we were used to, right? It's, right? it's rapid relative to us. Well, in Washington's own time, it's a rapidly changing world relevant to relative to what they had been used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, there are a lot of things in Washington's lifetime. There are going to be fundamental, massive alterations to uh, the. You know, there, there isn't even a national order yet, right? Because they haven't even invented the U.S. government. Um, there's going to be massive international upheaval while Washington is president with the French Revolution and a bunch of the stuff that goes on with, in the fallout from that. Um, and so we, we, we developed uh, a program on Washington leading in times of change. And one of the things we've identified that made him particularly uh, effective in that is leading in times of change using your credibility mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, using communication tools so that... Um, your constituents, whether those are actual political constituents or, 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 or staff in your organization, they understand what the big picture goal is so that when, when things get confusing, uh, when stuff starts to hit the fan and situations start to change rapidly, you have some sort of guiding star that you can keep going back to, right? So, and you see this with Washington where you know, cotton alarm's not getting fed. Well, the goal is independence. Well, how do we do that? Well, what we can't do is have, you know, if you're the Continental Army, you can't have civilians disaffected from the Continental Army. So uh, I, need, I need you, Continental Army soldiers, to not be doing things like looting because that will degrade civilian support for the military, right? And so constantly being able to tie people back to some larger mm. strategic vision uh, allows uh, leaders to, to more effectively lead in times of change. Uh, one of the other ones we've had a lot of uh, request for lately has been uh, leading with character. It's, I think it's sort of telling and sad that the corporate world in some ways is just starting to rediscover <laughs> the idea of leading with character. Um, but we, we, you know, we, we look at uh, Washington. One of the reasons he has the credibility he does and has the political uh, capital that he has is because he has been seen by his peers as being above reproach, right? He is given uh, essentially, and I think Congress might even use the actual term, dictatorial powers right. during the whole Trenton-Princeton campaign. Mm. You know, he's given dictatorial powers within the range of the army for 90 days. He turns it back early. Uh, you know, he he is oftentimes throughout the revolution uh, essentially the chief executive, 
right? Even though officially there is no chief executive role under the Articles of Confederation, there's only the legislative branch. Washington has to repeatedly step in and sort of act as a chief executive role, but that's extraordinarily dangerous, right? Because he's also the military head, which means you have the head of the military at times dabbling in civilian politics, Mm. and he's very conscious that that's problematic. And so he's always very deferential to Congress when he's trying to help sort of nudge them in a direction because those aren't explicit powers he's supposed to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is in sort of a singular role that a lot of other, a lot of the congressional representatives weren't. Yeah. Uh, right? and, and he gives, he publicly gives his commission back. Instantly, he's got even more credibility than he ever could have had, right? Because here's a guy that during the Newburgh conspiracy, it's suggested maybe he take a shot at just taking the army and taking control of, of the government. He doesn't do it, right? He gives up power, and each time he gives up power, that gives him all the more credibility. Mm-hmm. So that all of a sudden when you get to the Constitutional Convention and they need someone to act as that independent that arbiter, head, yeah. he can do that in a very effective way because people trust that he will will call balls and strikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, same Same reason why you see him eventually selected to be president. It's someone that they know he's, he, they know he's safe with having tremendous amounts of power because he's shown he can be trusted with it over time uh, because of his character. And so that's, that's, uh, that's sort of, uh, at the moment, our big three sort of academic chunks. Um, we, we do a lot of facilitation with the B. Washington experience. Mm-hmm. When groups come out, we have them play some of the different B. Washington scenarios. And then we can sort of unpack, you know, why did Washington sort of do the different leadership models that he did, um, some of these different scenarios. Uh, but it's not all seriousness. A lot of these groups are also <laughs> doing, it's supposed to be sort of a fun-ish off-site day. Yeah. And so uh, we, we you know, can include the whiskey tasting of, of Washington's whiskey. Hey, it's part of his enterprise. Yeah, because we can look at, you know, it's, it's a great example of Washington doing vertical integration of his wheat farming uh, enterprise. That's right. To, to, to use access wheat to, to create the whiskey, and it's just more ways to sort of diversify his portfolio, uh, to use some business terms that as a history major I never <laughs> thought I would have used. Uh, and we do try uh, incredibly hard to tailor whichever group is coming in, to tailor their experience to what it is both they're looking to get out of it mm-hmm. uh, and also uh, make it relevant to them and make George Washington relevant to them. Exactly. Because, um, again, a lot of people haven't had a history class in maybe decades and they they know he was the first president and they know he uh, uh, commanded the army during the revolution. Um, So like, for example, we had the Fertilizer Institute, uh, one of the big trade associations for fertilizer. Um, Well, George Washington did his own dung heap experiments trying to figure out what the best fertilizers were going to be on his, on his, uh, on his estate. Uh, We had the Unmanned Aerial Vehicle Association out. We could talk to them about, you know, George Washington intelligence gathering operations, both uh, in wartime and just his his tremendous interest in analytics. Uh, so we can, it's it's sort of a running joke that we can always find some way to to connect <laughs> Washington. I think we I think we do even better degrees of separation than uh, Kevin Bacon. I think I think so. And I, as the person who books the rooms here, I do appreciate the variety of alphabet soup of different <laughs> group organizations that come here. That you know, I didn't know existed. Yeah. That are coming here and learning about the leadership principles of Washington, how they can apply them within their own executive groups, boards, 
you name it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fascinating that, you know, all these different organizations are actually trying to improve themselves and better mm-hmm. themselves through this institution. And one of the great things that I find about the George Washington Leadership Institute is that you guys don't do a whole lot of marketing for this. No. You guys are busy all the time. How, how is that done? <laughs> yeah, so our, our entire staff is essentially two and a half people, uh, which is kind of crazy at times. Um, and a lot of it's just been uh, word of mouth. Uh, we we uh, are, are getting more and more well-known in the area, which is helpful. Uh, we've had extraordinarily positive feedback, which helps. Um, and, and that's really been the main thing, has just been um, trying to figure out the direction we want to take it, and then mm-hmm. you know, we're just getting such great feedback, which just helps feedback into our, <laughs> our, uh, our efforts. But yeah, we, we haven't really done a whole lot of promotion, um, per se. And with the rate you're going, I mean, you guys are literally having programs almost weekly if not several a week, sometimes multiple in a day? Yeah. Uh, we, we Our busiest seasons are by far um, spring and fall, but that kind of makes sense. Over the summer, people go on vacation. Right, right. Over the winter, travel who gets... Wants, who wants to go out yeah, in the winter? travel gets harder. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is, it is, it has been um, very encouraging. And to see the amount of positive energy that's come out of it. I mean, we've, we've, we've had some federal government groups out that... Um, you know, we, we've had feedback like this program re-inspired my patriotism and dedication right, right. to being a federal employee um, to we've had uh, we had a corporate group out. I can't say who, uh, but we had a corporate group out for a board meeting um, and and the the uh, family it was a family company. So the, the patriarch, if you will, of the the company uh, made a comment to to my colleague that uh, it was the most impactful board meeting his organization had ever had. Um, and he was so inspired by um, how much he felt like his son was getting out of it mm. that he, he felt comfortable turning the business over to his son, finally, wow. which was <laughs> fascinating. I, I, sometimes it's a little weird. You're like, I didn't think I did that good of a job. I just talked to you about George Washington for five minutes. But that's, I think, that's, I think the interesting thing, right, is, um, so, I mean, I'm a Ph.D. in history. Uh, the, the other sort of primary faculty member uh, is, re- <laughs> so his CV is a little longer. Uh, he he uh, <laughs> just, just a little. Yeah, retired Navy admiral, two-time university president, uh, and former head of the Distilled Spirits Council, uh, which is, Throws great parties. Hey, hey, he's always good at the whiskey tasting. Yeah, um, but the thing is, it doesn't even matter what our credentials are. We are just the vehicle that provides Washington to speak yeah. uh, and give Washington's perspective on on how these things could be done. Uh, which is, you know, great when I don't even have to do the heavy lifting. I can just let George do it. Which is the way it should be. <laughs> Which is the way it should be, right? Because this isn't, this, you know, it's not some, uh, not to disparage some of our, our, our uh, colleagues in the leadership training world, um, but, you know, we're, we're not doing some, like, here are six ways to make your organization more effective mm-hmm. um, and we guarantee success sort of thing uh, that you're doing in a hotel conference room somewhere. I mean, this is, you're at Mount Vernon. Uh, we use... We use the mansion. We use the grist mill and the distillery. We use 
the library. Uh, we, we pull documents that are relevant to your group. So it's, we're just channeling Washington and sort of inspiring people, um, you know, that here's an example of, of leadership in a similar sort of field. And we just, they, they do, in fact, seem to take some inspiration from it. It's exciting. And really utilizing all the resources on site that we have here at Mount Vernon, specifically to Mount Vernon. It's really special, you know, like utilizing B. Washington across the street, the estate, the library resource that we've got here, the distillery, the inn, too. When people have breakfast, yeah. dinners, lunches. Yeah, like, the, the, our, 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 uh, the restaurant here at Mount Vernon does, does a lot of the catering. Um, so we, you know, we can do everything full stack. Uh, and, and it provides just more and more educational opportunities because, like I said, we can bring in the whiskey, uh, you know, depending on what they, some of these groups order for, some of the groups will. There, there's a whole package you can do from the inn where, like, everything in the lunch is is made from products grown here to this day. So, you know, and, and it is garden. amazing. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, the grits and 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 cornbread from the dis, from not the, from the distillery that would be from the from the grist mill. Right. Um, so we can use the whole thing as a learning opportunity, even as people are eating, mm-hmm. which is. Utterly fascinating. And we can tell the passion exhumes right from your staff and, and from you mm-hmm. just, just by sitting here. And it's it's truly impressive to to you know view and watch some of the, the groups that come in here that are before and after experiences. You can tell they're enthralled and enthused as well mm-hmm. after a long day of programming sometimes. But kind of getting towards the end part of our conversation mm-hmm. here, I want to kind of dive in more again into Washington and his leadership mm-hmm. styles and his principles. You know, we want our listeners to hopefully at some point come out for a leadership program themselves. We know our listeners are very uh, around, are dispersed around the country, mm-hmm. and hopefully we can, you know, push them to maybe bring their groups here and mm-hmm. have a leadership program themselves. But what are some of the principles that you think are some teaser bits that we can kind of tease them again before they come out here? Mm-hmm. But what would you suggest are some of the principles that are Washington-esque that everyone should have in their daily lives? I mean, I, th- I think I go back to some of the ones I said uh, you know, early on. The, the credibility aspect, I think, just goes mm-hmm. back to so much of what uh, – or I, 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 I'm going to do a different one since I already talked about some of those. Um, so fun fact – uh, Washington only speaks on the record at the Constitutional Convention three times. Uh, one time to open it, one time to close it, and then uh, in the later months of the convention, when they're just in the dregs of the Philadelphia summer, there's a debate on the floor of the convention over um, the size of representation for, mm-hmm. for Congress. Whether I think it's whether one congressman should represent 20,000 people or a congressman should represent 30,000. Uh, and the, the, the debate's just been going on and on, and Washington's like stands up. It's like for the love of God, you know, <laughs> make it twenty thousand. That's more yeah. democratic, and let's get out of here because it's Philadelphia and it's hot. Um, it, it is. That is pretty toasty. <laughs> um, Can confirm that. So I think we we have a popular perception at times to the extent that people sit around in their daily lives and think of this. Right. That Washington is very quiet at the convention, and he is in the convention hall. But what he's doing that whole time is looking at who are the partisans in the room on a different issue. And a lot of these men that are there for the Constitutional Convention uh, 
are, are Alexander Hamilton-esque, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're on the younger side. Uh, they all have big egos, right? These are politicians. We know how they are. Yep. Uh, people don't change for the most part. Uh, and so Washington's looking at who, who are the people from the different states that look like they're obstructing progress. And what he does is he will invite people from either side of the issue over to dinner that night. Mm-hmm. And then he has them over, right? And they're going to accept because this is this is the equivalent. Of, this is the you know 18th century equivalent of being asked over, uh, you know, to get a photo op with the White House or something. Yep. In, in you know normal times, when you, you just you don't know, turn Washington. You, out. you don't. Yeah, I mean, you 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 for your for your aspiring political, you want to mm. be able to go back and tell your constituents you had dinner with Washington because that makes you look yeah. good. So they're going to accept, and Washington knows that. So he gets he gets these partisans in the room together. And then essentially, he, he very softly will bring up, you know, Mr. So-and-so. You seem very adamant about X issue. Your colleague here is very adamant about Y issue. Isn't there some way we can find a compromise? Can't you give up something that then this other person can, you know, to end, end okay, so, you know, Party A has has said, "Well, I, okay, I can I can give some Roman X, right?" And then Party B, your Washington will turn to them and say, "Okay, well, they've met you part of the way. Can't you co- come and and intervene a bit?" Meet me halfway, right? Meet me halfway, right? Uh, you know, the, the way I started, joking is I, I thought it was particularly well phrased in uh, season two of Stranger Things. If anybody <laughs> has, has seen that, where they ask, "What is compromise?" and, and the one character says, "It's halfway happy." Right, and Washington was great at bringing together these different factions and using his political capital productively to generate compromise. Uh, and I, I just think that's so fantastic of a, of, a, of a leadership style that he is using his political capital to to because right, this is all achieving his further ends. He he wants a unified national government. He wants to get that. And so by bringing people together, it's all going to be the stronger. Um, and so that's, I think, sort of fascinating is he had a sort of unique understanding of, or not unique, but a very strong understanding of uh, the benefits of political compromise. Compromise right. is not a bad right. thing. It's, it's a, quite a productive thing at times. It's very necessary, um, even in today's world. You know, and the other thing is sort of similar to this, right? So I, I think it's a quite understated leadership is what I'm, what I'm talking about here. Because mm. one of the other ones he does, I'll give the example from uh, when he first takes command of the Army outside of uh, Cambridge in 1775. Uh, he doesn't know any of these guys, right? He's a Virginian. Right, that right. entire army is New Englanders. He has no clue who these people are. And what he immediately does is invite over to dinner every night the senior leadership of the army, right, all the other senior generals, and their immediate subordinates. And he will, at different points, ask seemingly random officers to say, like, oh, I'm thinking of sending a patrol out to, I'm just going to make stuff up here a little bit, you know, sending a patrol out to Roxbury. Uh, it's going to need to be gone for three days. You know, Colonel so-and-so, would your unit be able to handle that? And if that commander couldn't answer the question, right, if they don't know what the rations their troops have mm-hmm. or how many soldiers they have in the regiment, how much ammunition their soldiers have, if Washington's getting a sense that this person isn't a very competent officer, he can't fire anyone, right, because that's not how the Continental Army works. It's not how it's structured. But what he can do is get in touch with that 
Continental Lot, that, that state's governor, and say, you know, Bob's great. Bob's going to be a great officer one day, but he's a little green right now. So maybe he should be rotated back to serve some sort of garrison position in your state, mm-hmm. and, and you bring somebody else out, right? So it's a cup, right? He's not shaming anybody, and he's providing a positive example of the sense of leadership he's looking for for this army. Right. Um, and I think that's the thing you see time and again with Washington is he's not a screamer. He's not. I mean, there are times we know he could, he could have a little bit of, of a temper. A little bit of a flare. But he's really, really mad. But his leadership style, nine times out of ten, is extraordinarily calm, confident, and understated. And it's not about getting the last word. It's not about being the loudest voice in the room. And it's about understanding what it is you're trying to achieve and the best ways to get it and the most productive ways to get it. Uh, and that's going to be a way that is understated and the most character-driven because that, that, that is going to give you the most capital, uh, it, it, bo- uh, both of you know, political capital, credibility within your organization. And that's, I think, the, the, the fascinating part of his style is it's, I think it's so different than how a lot of people feel like mm. nowadays they need to lead. Right. Or, or they need to manage, or they, just, they need to interact with people, um, is, is so much this idea of being the loudest voice in the room or getting the most retweets or, or, or whatever. Um, Washington <laughs> would heavily advise against mm-hmm. that and say that you can be far more productive uh, um, management and leadership by sort of going the opposite direction, which seems counterintuitive. Um, but I think he's a great example but, but through of through the methods that you, yeah. that you showcase that Seems like it worked in his favor. Yeah, and I don't think, and it's something that he, he, he's teaching other people the whole time. Now, you know, some people like Alexander mm. Hamilton don't listen, and they get shot in New Jersey. So, if you want to get a shot negative in New examples, Jersey, right there. Yeah, and maybe don't want, do that. Who wants to get shot in New Jersey? Nobody. Nobody, Nobody wants to get shot in New Jersey. Okay, Joe. Well, we're getting towards the end here, mm-hmm. and want to play a little game with you, quick here. Oh boy! Imagine I'm a CEO mm-hmm. of a. Uh, board organization coming in here for a leadership program, or I'm I'm on the fence. I, I mm-hmm. want to bring my group out here um, to to learn about Washington as leadership styles, but I'm not sure you know if I want to or not yet, or if, if if my group will get something out of it that I'm looking for. Give me the quick thirty second elevator speech that you would give to me to drive me to come here. If you think about the time Washington lived in, uh, he's dealing with such dynamic forces of of change. Uh, and, and, and such high-stakes issues uh, that it, it oftentimes dwarfs anything that, that most of us actually are ever going to deal with and most of our organizations are ever going to deal with. So, so if you come to the George Washington Leadership Institute, uh, here's a chance to study, uh, in some ways, sort of a worst-case scenario for, for the circumstances you could have to deal with as a leader. Um, and I think one of the best cases for how to do it, because it's done in such an understated uh, and character-driven way uh, that it's hard to actually, I think, make an argument for why you wouldn't want to have your organization uh, be ranked on par uh, with a character like George Washington that is considered, you know, within its own lifetime and for generations to go after as one of the singular personifications of what leadership and, and character-based leadership specifically looks like. You know, this is a guy that has his statue in Trafalgar Square in London, right? The Brits mm-hmm. even put up a statue to him. Napoleon Bonaparte, when he's complaining 
uh, about how his his reputation is sort of unfolded after he's become emperor. He complains they wanted me to be another Washington, right? This is a guy that George III, the person that Washington fought the revolution against, says when he gives up power the first time, uh, when he when the war is over, if Washington does this, he must be one of the greatest men to ever live, right? And he, what he means by this, one of the best leaders and most character based yeah. leaders to ever live. And Washington does it multiple times. And so if you are leading to the extent to where even your adversaries respect how you're doing it, um, I think there's a great argument for that style of leadership. I agree. And I think, Joe, you've convinced me. I think I'm going to bring my group out here. We're going to set up a program. And I hope that we've convinced you know, our listener base, uh, at least educated them about mm-hmm. Leadership Institute, and hopefully you know, maybe they'll, in the future, will contact your department and come on out for a program in the future here. Yeah, if anybody's interested, uh, the short link is mountvernon.org slash leadership. And we will have a link yep. to that on our podcast page. And I think I've sat in your chair long enough, kept it warm for you. So you're more than welcome for the next couple of episodes here that we've got coming up to reclaim <laughs> this spot over here and become the host again. But I think it was you know, fun for this little bit here to reverse roles and get out of the booth, too. And I hope everything sounds good on, on our end. Well, and one thing, too, uh, speaking of uh, uh, th- th- that chair being empty, uh, if any of our listeners uh, are working on or have completed uh, their PhD in history, American studies, what have you, uh, we are actually hiring for the digital history position that I was in. Um, and so also go to our website and, and check into that if that's something uh, you would be interested in applying for. That too. And with that position, you become in- integral within our mm-hmm. podcast realm here and mm-hmm. my, might as well become a host for com- upcoming episodes. Yeah. So, well, thank you, Joe. This has been a fun uh, fun experience here, and I uh, hope that we can uh, chat more about the Leadership Institute in the future. Yeah, for sure. Now get out of my chair. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations at the Washington Library. Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.